0: Well, good morning. I'm so glad to be able to share with you guys uh, here in the center. I'm usually down in the student center. I run our middle school small groups, as Pastor John said. Uh, I love middle school students. They're a passion of mine. I love that even when they try to be fake, they're just not good at it. And so they're really easy to call out and teach and develop and just have a passion for them. I've loved working with middle school students specifically for the past seven years in ministry um, but I'm so excited to share with you guys. today. So if you have access to God's Word, and I really hope that you do, uh, would you open up to Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 1, read in verse 10. That's where we find ourselves today. And uh, while you guys are turning there, whether it's in your phone or actually in a physical Bible, i was just gonna give you just let you know of a goal I have every time I open up God's Word. Uh, one is I want to teach you something new about God and your relationship with Him. And the other one is I want to remind you something true about God and your relationship with Him. So I want to teach you something new, but I also want to remind you something true because when I think you're reminding something true or taught something new about who God is and who you are in light of that, you're better able to live as a citizen of God's kingdom now, not just in heaven, but now here on earth, and we're able to bring his kingdom here on earth in a more effective way. And so I want to teach you something new, but I also remind you something true. And so that is our jumping off point. Hopefully I've stalled long enough for your phone to load or for you to find it in your Bible. Um, but if you haven't, we've got it on the screens right here for you to follow along with us in Deuteronomy chapter 15, starting in verse 1. At the end of seven, every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people, because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelites owe you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land your Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance— He will richly bless you, if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. This is the word of the Lord. And so uh, I just want you guys to know, you look great today. you guys look really nice today. You're really just dressed well. You look sun, like, bathed on you. And so I just want to start off by, like, let's get a little interaction. So just turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today, right? Or you look good, all right? And then turn to your other neighbor and say, hey, you look good too. Whether you're on internet or you're next to your dog, tell your dog and say it looks good, whatever you want to do. Um, but I just want you to know, we're so excited you guys are here. Um, so every time, uh, as I look back through photos of myself as a kid, There's a haircut that keeps popping up throughout the photos. It's this haircut right here. Uh, it's me, the buzz cut with my wife, Adriana, or Dreezy Baby, as I call her, on our wedding day. Um, I had this haircut right here for most of the years of my life until recently. Uh, it was a low-cost, low-maintenance, low-surprises haircut. Like, it, there was no like waking up one day and people were like, oh, Tony, your hair looks really good today. No, it was the same thing every day. Like, you knew what you were getting from my hair every single day. It was amazing, right? It was very easy to do. But there were a few years where I would venture off the beaten path and kind of stretch myself, all right? I would really try to go outside my comfort zone. And there was a couple years where I had long hair. Look at that, isn't that adorable? Just middle school, just feeling really great, Um, getting photobombed, before photobombing was a thing. I've got braces, just that really awkward phase. And then I did develop into like, I'm gonna gel my hair. Now if you're wondering, Tony, is that your girlfriend? No, in any of these photos you see, I'm single, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But I really would have loved, you know, to have a girlfriend at the time. Um, I'm wearing my nice American Eagle shirt, experimenting with my gelled hair. There was also a phase where I had a mohawk, okay? So I had a mohawk with chops, all right? And as you see, there's a theme here. Sitting by myself, no girl, right? Still no girlfriend. There's a rhythm to this. It wasn't until I had this haircut that I feel like I really hit my groove, okay? I really hit my groove with my hair. But what I love about my hair is that... any age, you can pretty much picture me, I had that buzz cut right at the beginning. I had that buzz cut, it was very simple. Um, And because of that, it was low maintenance, it was low cost, it was low surprises, I would cut my own hair. Like I was saving my parents money, being the golden child that I am, and really get an opportunity just to save the money, save myself money. And so because of that, when I went to college, I was the guy that people always came to, to borrow hair trimmers from. And so one day my friend Josh came to me and said, hey, can I borrow your hair trimmers? I need to cut my hair for my date that I have tonight. I said, yeah, dude, no problem. I gave him the trimmers. A little bit later, I'm walking down the hall, and I find Josh, and he's in the laundry room of all places, cutting his hair. And he asked me to cut around his ears. I said, Josh, I would love to do that for you. And so I'm cutting around his ear, and um, my, his right ear, and he asks me, you know, what's going on? I'm like, I'm talking about my day. I'm like, what are you doing tonight? He goes, Oh, well, I've got this date with Abigail. My, you know, he turned actually to marry her. And he's like, it's an, it's an amazing day. It's Valentine's Day, Tony. Like, it's an amazing day. I've got this all planned out. I'm like, dude, you're such a stud. You're like basically the bachelor minus 25 women. Like, you're amazing. And uh, so he's telling me more about it and just the ins and outs of what they're going to do. And so then I'm going around his left ear. The right ear's all done. Now I'm going around his left ear. And as you know, with the trimmers, there's kind of a consistent hum that takes place with trimmers. Uh, it lets you know that things are safe, And things are going well. Well, that hum that was consistent was not consistent for a second. It had an uptick. Uh, It went really high in RPMs, and then it dropped real low. That's not usually a good sign. And so as it dropped low, along with it, dropped something very important that wasn't supposed to come off, and that was a huge chunk of hair from the left side of Josh's head, right? And so I'm left in this moment of like, what do I do? Do I tell him I just took a chunk? Did he notice can I just run away and leave? Do I pray for God to cause that hair to grow back? Do I use double-sided tape? Do I help God out a little bit? Like, what do I do? And so I, I scrambled and I thought through him, like, I can't, like, he, he has to know this, he, he, I can't leave. I've gotta tell him in a very elegant way, and so I started by saying, dude, because all great quotes start with dude. Um, dude, I'm not gonna lie, I just took a chunk from the side of your head. And he blows up. It's Mount Vesuvius all over again. It probably is on the news. You might have seen it. Um, and it was this huge explosion of just frustration, of anger, of, like, shock. And he's like, Tony, how could you do this for me? I'm like, I'm s- Josh, I'm so sorry. Like, maybe you can just get a table at the restaurant that just faces this way. And she'll never see this. Like, this will be fine. And, like, I'm like, maybe you can, you know, Put a hat on or you know, that's kind of a hip thing to do i don't know just like i'm trying to throw out anything that i can do to help the situation and of course nothing i can say nothing he can do is going to change it right like this is the reality i've taken a chunk out of the side of his head and so i just wonder if there's some people here today that have had a similar situation where someone's taken a chunk from your life metaphorically they've wounded you they've hurt you or maybe you've hurt someone else and there's nothing you can do or they can do to make the situation better Right? No amount of apologizing or anything you say can change the reality that there has been an offense made. They've sinned against you or you've sinned against them. And you can't take those words back or you can't take those actions back. And you're just kind of left with this really awkward situation of like, I know I'm supposed to forgive, but my heart tells me this really hurts. And so me to say I forgive you feels hypocritical. I know for me that it seems like the things that we talk about the most, which is forgiveness, we talk about all the time in church, is the things that we talk about the most that I struggle with the most. Like, I'm all good with forgiveness up here, but when I'm hurt, when I'm offended, and then my heart gets involved, then I realize, ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. I feel like to say I forgive you belittles what happened to me. I feel like to say I forgive you means it's okay what you did. I feel like to say I forgive you but still feel, still feel hurt seems hypocritical. That's when I struggle. And so in Deuteronomy 15, Moses is addressing a big issue. He's saying this is how Israelites who have debts should handle them. But it seems like a no-brainer for us. Like if someone borrows something from you, you deserve to get it back. If they borrow money or, you know, whatever your situation is, they borrow money from you and they, they should give it back to you. That seems right. But he says, every seven years, you should cancel a debt. Any debts that are there, you need to cancel them. So it doesn't matter how you're doing financially at the moment, how the situation's going, or what's going on in your life, you forgive the debt at the seven-year mark. And so if someone borrowed a goat from you, because that's an applicable example for you guys in Brownsburg, if they borrow a goat, um, and that goat, you're on a walk with it, because I think you walk goats, Um, if you're walking the goat and all of a sudden a bus comes by and it's like, bam, goat's dead, it's over, um, now you're in a situation that you don't have that goat anymore to pay back. Like, what do you do? And he says, at the seven-year mark, you forgive that debt. You forgive the, the, fo- the fact that they killed your goat. You just do that. And that just doesn't happen in our culture. Like, if someone, if you got a mortgage, the mortgage company's not going to call you back and say, hey, it's seven years, you're all good, your mortgage is forgiven. Like, it's just not going to happen. If you're holding out for that, I don't want you to be disappointed. Um, they're not going to forgive your mortgage. That would be great if they did. And so what do you do in these situations? And Moses says, you forgive the debt. You don't expect them to get you a different goat, maybe one that's hypoallergenic because that's all the rage right now. Like you breed it with a, a, you know, a doodle or a poodle, whatever you're breeding, I don't know. Like you just don't do that. You just forgive the debt. You don't expect them to pay it back. You don't expect them to change anything. You forgive the debt. And so it seems like in forgiveness that there's no safety, there's no logic when it comes to this. It seems like God's main focus, his main priority, is not the restoration of a missing goat or money, but it's the restoration of broken relationships. It seems more like God cares about restoring those things than anything else. It seems like God's house should be the most forgiving, absurd, off-the-wall forgiving house. But what I'm finding is that it's, in church, in life, Sometimes forgiveness isn't our anthem. It's not the message we communicate. Sometimes the message we communicate more oftentimes than not is the message of retaliation, of revenge, of repayment. And what I'm finding in Scripture, and I'm finding the longer I follow Jesus, is that that doesn't seem to fit with Scripture. It seems to me that forgiveness is more about the power of the cross than the chunk that's been taken from your life. It seems like in these situations, in these dynamics, it's more about the power of the cross than what someone's done against you. And that doesn't mean to belittle what happened to you or say it's okay what's happened to you, but it's more about having this focus that at the cross, Jesus forgave all, in all and in everyone. He didn't hesitate. He didn't hold back. He forgave everything. So it's more about seeing that than it is seeing this chunk And sometimes we get things out of perspective. It's in forgiveness. It's it's something about receiving forgiveness should produce, should breed forgiveness within us. When you've received forgiveness, there's something about that life change that it brings in your life that should create a desire to see that in other people. It doesn't mean that what we did against God is okay and it doesn't mean what they did against you is okay, but it does mean that because you've seen that forgiveness change you, you then want to offer it to other people because you want to see that change in them. You want your act of forgiveness to be a, a little glimpse for them to see this is what forgiveness does. And then it creates a desire for them to want more. And where does that more come from? It comes from the cross. We, we offer forgiveness not in response to someone approaching us and saying, hey, I'm really sorry that I killed your goat. No, 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 no. We offer forgiveness in response to the cross. And so don't wait for someone to come, approach you and say, I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. You say, because Jesus has taken the first step at the cross, I now respond and offer you forgiveness because of that. Not because of your apology, but because of the cross. But what happens in, with us, and apparently what's happened to the Israelites, is we lose, we lose sight of that perspective. We look for reasons to make the chunk bigger than the cross, And so what Moses says and he proposes is there needs to be an ongoing conversation that you have within your heart and within your mind and within your soul. And it's a conversation that goes like, hey, remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Remember what God has given you. He says, remember the land that God's given you. Remember all the things that God's done in the past. Remember what he did at the cross. Remember how he's changed you. Remember what forgiveness has done in you. You see, when you have that conversation, that ongoing conversation, where you just continue to remind yourself of that every time begrudging thoughts or ill thoughts come in your mind about withholding forgiveness, he says that's when you're starting to be able to forgive people. That's when you're able to cancel debts. It's an ongoing conversation. And there's something about that ongoing conversation that it takes this chunk that's become so consuming in your life and it, and it shrinks it down to its proper perspective to the point where it's like a piece of dust. It's not a chunk, but it's a speck. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen and it doesn't mean that it was okay, but it's in light of the cross. My response is forgiveness because I've seen what the cross can do and I've seen what forgiveness has done in my life. So I extend it to other people he says, you need to have that ongoing conversation. He says, we don't forgive with a begrudging heart, and we're not tight we're open-handed. So many times when we hold forgiveness, we're holding on to something. We're holding on to the hurt, we're holding on to the pain. But what I'm finding is that forgiveness opens up our hands to receive healing. It opens up our hands I think the main problem we have is the reason why we're not getting healing, we're not feeling healed, is because we're, our hands aren't open to receive. We're holding on to the pain, we're holding on to the words, we're holding on to the situation, we're holding on to the faces, and we're just holding on to them, waiting for healing to come. And our hands are so full that you can't receive healing. We can't receive it. And we're just holding on to hurt, believing that holding on to hurt is going to produce Healing. When is holding on to hurt ever made anyone heal? When is holding on to hurt ever brought restoration? We need to let go of all these things. Not because it's okay what they did, but it's because when we let go of them, we get what we truly want. And that's healing. That person's never been able to restore what's missing from you. But Christ can And it's in forgiveness that it opens up our hands to receive what we truly long for. You want healing. You want restoration. And it's going to come from an act of forgiveness. Part of what it means to forgive someone, it doesn't mean that what they did to you is okay, and it doesn't mean that your situation has changed, and it does not belittle what happened to you. But it does present an opportunity to get what you truly want. And part of what it means to follow Jesus is that we have a responsibility. Everything that we do is a direct reflection of who we say we follow. And so if we forgive certain things or we forgive only a certain amount of things, only forgive certain people, we are telling the world that Jesus only forgives certain things, certain people, or a certain amount of wrong feasances. And so I wonder if we've just miscommunicated the gospel through our hurts. That maybe indirectly or on accident, we've told people that Jesus only forgives certain things because we've only forgiven certain things. Maybe you're more likely to forgive a stranger because you have low expectations of them, but it's a family member that you have high expectations. You're less likely to forgive that person. We have a heavy responsibility to properly communicate the power of forgiveness and the scope and scale of forgiveness that Jesus offers. Let's not miscommunicate what Christ did on the cross. Let's properly and powerfully and completely tell the world what kind of forgiveness Jesus offers. Because I think if they see that forgiveness, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it's irresistible. You can't say no to it. That's what people want, the kind of forgiveness that Jesus offers. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story in response to a question that one of his closest friends, Peter, asks him. And, and the story goes like this. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Does that sound like a good answer, Jesus? He says said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And then he tells the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and everything he owed so that payment could be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant who's been forgiven a huge debt went out, he found, so he was searching, one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, grabbing hold of him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Doesn't that sound familiar? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And so what I love about this is that Peter tries that, that classic elementary move of asking a question that he already knows the answer to it. He's like, he's like that kid in elementary class that asks like, teacher, how do you spell the? And it's like, oh, wait, no, actually, I know how it is. It's like kind of show off like a really easy answer. Like he's such a jerk, but he does it. And so he, uh, he says, how many times should I forgive someone, Jesus? Seven times, does that sound good? And so if you know the culture, if you know the situation, seven's not random. It's actually a really good answer. So in Jewish culture, numbers are very significant. They meant something. They communicated something. And so five is the number of grace. So every time you see five in scripture, they're communicating grace there. There's a, there's a deeper message there. 12 is the number of perfect government, perfect order. Why? Because there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 disciples. It's, it's perfect organization, perfect leadership. Seven is the number of perfection, of completeness, of wholeness. Why? Because in the beginning, God created the world in seven days. It was perfect. It was complete. It was whole. And so what Peter's saying is the perfect amount of forgiveness, like whole, complete forgiveness, is seven times. And what Jesus' response is, 77, it's not just saying like 77 times, that's how many times you forgive someone. No, he's saying perfection upon perfection, wholeness on wholeness, completeness on completeness. He's saying, Peter, you think you understand the scope and scale of my forgiveness? You have no idea what I'm going to do at the cross. You have no idea the kind of forgiveness I'm about to offer the world. You think you understand me? You have no idea. And then he starts to tell a story about two servants one that has a huge debt. He's forgiven the debt, and then he goes on to tell someone who has a small debt, who the man will not forgive. But what stands out to me in this passage is two things. One is that Jesus doesn't mention the ethnicity of these men. In our Deuteronomy passage, it says you only forgive fellow Israelites every seven years. He says anyone who's not an Israelite, you do what you want. You don't need to forgive them. But when Jesus comes around, he says, I don't, I'm not even going to mention their they Israelites. I'm not even going to mention their ethnicity. I'm not even going to mention where they come from. Because you know why? It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter their story. It doesn't matter if they're part of your group. He says, I forgive everyone. I offer it to everyone. And so you extend it to everyone willingly. Do you have favorites who you forgive people? Will you forgive certain people and not other people? Who is it that you won't forgive? Who is it? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Co-worker? Supervisor? Someone you ran into when you're driving here and they were right on your tail the whole time? Who is it you won't forgive? Jesus leaves it out and says, it doesn't matter who they are, where they come from. We forgive. The second thing that stands out is Jesus doesn't mention what year it is. Did you catch that? In Deuteronomy, he says every seven years you forgive, cancel debts. Jesus doesn't mention with these servants what year it is. He doesn't say it's the first year, the third year, the fifth year, the seventh year, six and a half years. He doesn't mention it. And what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter when the wrong against you has occurred. We forgive. We don't wait, we don't hesitate. We initiate forgiveness. We extend it to people. And so are you waiting till you feel better? Are you waiting till your own seven year mark? Because it's very easy to sit here and be like, well it's all good and well what you're saying Tony, but I, I just had this happen to me yesterday and I'm still grieving it and I'm still hurt and I still don't understand it. So I'm gonna hold on to my chunk, the thing that happened to me a little bit longer. But what I'm finding again, guys, in scripture is that there's no safety, there's no logic in forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't just a step, it's it's a leap, it's a stage dive, saying, I'm trusting God to heal me on the other side. Forgiveness begins with faith, not feelings. That's the reality, is that forgiveness begins with faith, not feelings. And so, what that means is that at the cross, Jesus didn't wait to say, I forgive someone. He said, while on the cross, Father, forgive them. Remember, the hands are still pierced with a nail. The crown of thorns is still on his head. The wounds from the whips are still stinging against the cross. And he offers them forgiveness. He didn't wait for his situation to change. He didn't wait for someone to say, I'm sorry. He initiated. And so our forgiveness is a response to what Christ has done. For so long, I would wait until I felt better to forgive someone. I would wait for time to heal all wounds. You ever heard that saying, time heals all wounds? It sounds really good. But when I started to think about that more, what I realized what I was saying, what I was thinking is I'm trusting time to do healing. I'm trusting in making a God of time. I'm worshiping time. But I don't worship, and we didn't gather here today to worship time. No, we came here to worship the God who created time, the God who's outside of time, the God who transcends time. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. I'm not waiting for time to do its work. I'm waiting for Christ to do his work. And so I step out in faith, and I extend forgiveness to those who have wronged me, trusting that on the other side, Jesus is going to heal me that I'm going to receive what I ultimately want. Not repayment, not restitution, not justice, but healing. We can be healed and never have justice. We can be healed and never have the repayment from someone else, but we can be healed from someone else's payment on the cross. That's where our healing comes from. You see... I believe that the greatest display of God's power, his might, is in the act of us extending forgiveness. Because it's something about forgiveness in us being given to someone else. It, it, it stirs it up. We want to see that life change in someone else. And so what I'm finding is that we haven't been carrying around the message of reconciliation, which it says in 2 Corinthians we should be carrying around. It says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And so we're supposed to be carrying around that message. But what I'm finding is we're not carrying the message of reconciliation. We're carrying the message of justice and revenge and retaliation and waiting for things to be made right. And we're just holding on to all the things. We need to put that down and pick up the message that God really gave us. Reconciliation between God and us and us and each other. Us and a stranger, us and a family member, us and a friend, us and a coworker. We need to carry that message. One author says that unforgiveness... Is like drinking rat poison and expecting the rat to die. We hold on to unforgiveness, thinking that it's going to produce something good in us, but really it's harming us. It's damaging us. What are you holding on to right now? What wound are you unable to let go of? What hurts? Are you holding on to? In our passage that we just read in Matthew, there's someone that Jesus describes I think we fit really well with. And I don't really like to say that because it's not enjoyable to say that I fit this person. And I think maybe some of you can resonate with him. And so I'm going to ask you guys to do something that's maybe a little different for us, but I think that's okay because I'm the middle school guy and I can do that. Um, But in a second, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes the reason I ask you to close your eyes is because I think people's privacy is more important than our curiosity. Like we want to know. We want to look down the eye. like, what's, what's God saying to him? We want to know. Right? And so just kind of put that off the side. We're not going to be peeking around. And then I'm going to ask you to kind of close your hands. And not just like close them like, oh, I'm holding on to marbles, but I'm actually squeezing tight. I'm clenching down. I'm, I'm putting some pressure from my fingernails into my palms. And so... When I ask you to do that, keep your eyes closed and your fists clenched and keep clenching really tight the whole time. Your hands might get tired. That's okay. And so let's everyone close our eyes. Let's everyone clench our fists. I'm going to walk you through a story that I think maybe you, some of you can resonate with. Because in our story that we just read, Jesus describes a man who owed a huge debt. To give you some perspective, that debt was 60,000 denarii. One denarii was a standard day's wage. And so with your eyes closed and your hands are still clenched, picture this. This man would have to work 60,000 days. That average American lives 30,000 days. To just pay off this debt, this man would have to live and work two lifetimes. He's just been given new life. He's just been given new hope. And what does he do? He goes out and he finds someone, the man who's wronged him, the man who owes him something very small in comparison, and he holds on to the man, he grabs tight to him because his fists are clenched, and just like you, your fists are clenched, and your eyes are closed, and he's holding on to the man demanding justice, and he say, says, pay back what you owe me. Give me what's mine. Make things right. Friend, you're holding on to the wrong person. This man was holding on to the wrong person. This man could never pay him back. Only the master could bring healing to him. Only the master could restore the chunk. You're holding on to the wrong person. Aren't you tired of clenching your fists and holding on so tight? Aren't your hands getting tired? Aren't you wanting to receive what you truly want? Aren't you desiring healing? Don't you want to let go of this hurt so you can pick up and receive something that's so much better? This man needed to let go of the person who hurt him and go back to the master and remember the power of the cross. That's what he needed. That's what you need. And I just wonder if maybe there's some people in this room that maybe need to let go of some hurt, let go of some pain, not to say it's okay what happened, but to receive the healing that they want. If that's to you, if you're saying, God, I need to... I need to extend forgiveness to open up my hands to receive healing i'm gonna ask you to open up your hands right now but keep your eyes closed you open up your hands saying god i'm trusting you to do the healing i'm trusting you to bring the change i'm trusting you on the other side of faith you're gonna do the healing that i desire so your hands have opened and you received something but now we open up our eyes so everyone open up their eyes and why do we open our eyes so we can see receive the power of the cross. We open up our hands to receive forgiveness, and we open up our eyes to see forgiveness. It's an ongoing, continual conversation. We can't hold on to pain because pain never produces healing. Only the work of the cross will produce healing in your life. So as you go from here, after we sing one more song of worship, declaring who God is, that we know this is who He is with all assurance and all confidence go from here not just with clenched fists and holding on to pain every time you want to close your fists back up remember that it's by opening up my hands i'm getting what i really want i'm receiving what i truly need which is healing and every time you want to close your eyes and remember the pain and remember the heartache say no no no. i'm going to remember and see the forgiveness that christ did at the cross we open up our hands to receive and we open up our eyes to see the forgiveness that is available to us. Let me pray for you. And let's then worship God one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person in this room that you brought them here with a purpose. You brought them here with a plan. Lord, I just feel like right now there's some people who are starting to have some wounds start to be healed, start to be mended. Lord, maybe they're thinking about that person and that word that was said to them about them. Lord, I pray that whenever lies of who they are, and who you are, come to their mind that you would correct those, Lord, that you would instill them truth, that on the other side of forgiveness, Lord, is healing. Lord, would you remind them of who they are, who they belong to, what's true about them, all the things that you've done in their lives, or that we would know that we're gonna see the enemy run, that we would know that you have victory over everything that we would know that the power of the cross changes everything. Lord, we want healing, but we know it's only through forgiveness. Give us the faith every day to entrust pain and heartache to you, the author of healing. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.